and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Hugh, and today I'm joined by Philippe Mario, founder and CEO of Stragilon, a Berlin-based consultancy specializing in innovation, agility, and development, and also an upcoming speaker at IMI's first People Strategy Network event of the year. Today, we're talking about bureaucracy in organizations and how it can stifle collaboration and innovation, and how leaders in an organization can move agility from a word on a page into the very operations of a business. It's a big subject, and we won't be able to cover even a small portion of all of Philippe's talk, but I do want to home in on some of the big challenges facing organizations today, and hopefully get a few solutions. For those IMI Transform members wanting to join Philippe's session next Tuesday, 6th of October, and get that deep dive, please go to imi.ie forward slash events. So, Philippe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, let's start with the, the fundamentals and set the scene for our listeners What's the big idea that you'll be talking about at your IMI session? The big idea is that organizations are changing very fast and they're probably adapting to a new business model, um, a new era, you could say, in business, mm. where we've landed in a platform economy, in a digital economy where everything is linked and mm. the basic recipes of management don't have any success anymore so we need something new and I'll hope to um, uncover some of those techniques and ways of working and doing things to be successful today. Yeah it's, it's, it's very much that sort of you know we're still using the, the practices from 150 years ago and funnily enough when I was reading your materials I, I pretty much agree with everything although I will spend the next 20 minutes playing devil's advocate on behalf of bureaucracy but even then my mind kept on reverting back to more traditional ways of doing things do you think that's a mindset has, that's been trained into us by modern work practices, that desire for hierarchy and even, and even bureaucracy? Or is it a fundamental aspect of human nature we sort of have to fight against? That's a great question. And I, I don't know if I have the exact answer to that. But it is true that our education system has been very, very focused on bureaucracy. And as we've, we've been all been trained to welcome bureaucracy, to live with bureaucracy, to increase bureaucracy even. Because yeah. in many of our management practices, um, increasing bureaucracy is still seen as doing a great job. Mm. Um, people can control more, they're happier because they feel they can control um, part of their lives. And I guess as, as humans, we like to control our environment around us. But in the natural world, this is not how we live. And mm. if we go back a, a, a while, this is not how we were in the past and it's not how we should be today because control is elusive it's just something that we think we can have and therefore we increase bureaucracy if we would let go of a lot of that need for bureaucracy we would have more creativity more innovation and a bigger drive towards an ethical society which is really what we're going towards yeah and and i do want to talk about you're talking about that sort of uh, bureaucracy seeing it as, an, as a success and I want to talk about bureaucracy in a company and specifically where the purpose of the bureaucracy is to make the organization more efficient. I'll give you a really basic example. Um, like a multinational company, they have semi-automated their sales journey so that any potential account that's worth under 5K, for example, gets an introductory video and information, but not that one-on-one -on -one demonstration by someone in a company. Um, obviously, that will help them get through leads more efficiently but they're probably not giving their customers the same attention they would have in their rapid growth phase. In other words, they no longer are doing what made them successful in the first place due to their size. 
what should a leader do in a situation like that? Is that sort of bureaucracy inevitable once you get over a certain size? It's a, it's a great business case. I, I recognize it because it's um, a, a business case that I see with a lot of our customers as well. And what I try to tell them and work with them and, and, and help them with is to stop over-engineering yeah. people management and to stop over-engineering how people um, should work. I think there's been a basic misunderstanding. It's been growing for a long time now, which is that if we automate more, um, people will be free to be more creative. But mm. the way we've automated so far has mostly been to control people. So we've That's done the opposite of what we should be doing. So automation is great. Efficiency is great. If it's used to um, give more space for people to grow. So as a leader, to answer your question, I think it's a question of doing both. Being clever on making efficient processes and having less um, unnecessary tasks, but at the same time, very, very big push to invest in people's motivation, their own mm. drive, give them as much freedom as possible so that you can get the best out of them and they actually feel happy at work. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. If, if your automation efforts are, are aimed towards controlling people, you should probably sort of have a look at them again. Um, you talk about sort of creating a series of networks um, to replace those traditional bureaucratic and, and hierarchical management structures. Can you just explain that as a concept? Sure. So since the, you could say, post-war period, maybe 1950s, there's been this rise of expertise and expertise has grown further into silos and tunnels of expertise and there's the expertise strap and you know there, there's all these problems that come with people working in their, their own silos. Mm. Um, in many of the organizations that I see, people don't talk outside of their silo. Sometimes speaking outside of the silo, collaborating with people on getting a job done is considered treason because you're disloyal to the manager of that silo that you're working mm -hmm. in. Now, I give you, you know, I, I sort of make it into a parody um, because obviously it's not as bad as that. But often it does come to office politics and it can be very, very harmful for an organization. Mm -hmm. So if you would rebase the collaboration of people outside of their expertise tunnel, outside of their department or whatever you call it, and more in terms of what problem are we trying to solve for the customer? or what product are we trying to make, or what new service are we trying to bring to the planet, then everything is possible because people don't see themselves or each other as from that department or that department, they basically work together as a group of friends. And that's the idea of growing networks within your organization. Mm. I uh, work on this with a lot of our customers quite extensively and we see that it works and it creates magic because people can reinvent who they are and they can also grow interests in fields that are outside of their own expertise and it actually makes them a lot happier and more fulfilled at work. Mm. And then connecting those expertise uh, across divisions is always desirable. Um, in an article you wrote, you said, a network of clever people working together to solve a problem or help a customer has become the most desirable work style, pandemic or not. Um, that sounds really nice in theory, but how can you make it actually work in practice constantly bringing new teams together, disbanding them, and then continuing that cycle. Seems like an awful, awful lot of work and full of places where it could go wrong. Yes, well, 
things go wrong all the time. And I think we have to consider that as a price of doing business, that some yep. things just don't work out as they should. But it is an alternative way, you could say, of focusing, really focusing on the customer. Um, sometimes I speak about other people and what they say, and there's this Netflix example with uh, Reed Hastings and Patty McCord saying, if you start with a customer first, you realize that silos are just going to slow you down and um, you want people to collaborate. So that is mm. one model of a, a great company. It's a sort of example, but there are many, many others. There's tons of examples today where people work that way. So it's not as if it's a revolution that is about to happen. It's mm. already happened and it's happening right now. And I think the organizations that see its potential move much faster. They're happier, they're more successful, and they will create that future. Unfortunately, it will be not within the reach of organizations that keep people stuck in their tunnels and their silos. Yeah. Um, my final uh, question in defense of bureaucracy. The one thing you can say about bureaucracy and hierarchy is that ultimately you can always blame someone. Um, although it seems hard, that can lead to improvements. If we dilute hierarchical structures, don't we dilute the accountability that goes with them? Um, in an organization full of constantly shifting sort of collaborative networks, is there anyone ever really responsible for anything? That's a great point. And I see a difference between bureaucracy on the one hand and hierarchy on the other. Mm. And I think it's important to make that distinction. I'm not pleading for anarchy. I'm not <laughs> even saying that alacracy would work because basically it could be quite anarchical. It could be difficult to work in such an environment. There is a, so to come back to hierarchy, there is a natural instinct, human instinct on hierarchy. It's very strong. We mm -hmm. like certain hierarchies. We enjoy the fact that someone takes a decision. We enjoy to know who should take a decision according to a group. We can regulate that. We can say that on this project, that person takes that type of a decision, or these people take that type of a decision. Um, if you look at a, an extreme situation like COVID, um, everyone's looking at everyone and basically it only starts going right if a group of people or a society decides I trust that these groups of people can come together talk about something make a decision and move forward mm. it becomes very very dangerous and difficult if no one knows where the decision lies or every mm. decision can be contested so I think decision-making and, and hierarchy go hand in hand and they're important um, it's all a question of how they're structured and the fact that they could be liquid, they could be volatile, they could be changing, is maybe sounding like a new phenomenon, but it's always existed. Yeah. I would say it's the most natural human endeavor. If you would be on a spaceship, probably you've got somebody making decisions on the steering. You've got somebody else making decisions on the oxygen in, in the capsule. And maybe you've got somebody else deciding when to land or where to land on the moon, wherever it would be. So these decisions are not necessarily linked to absolute hierarchy, but more in terms of federated hierarchy, hierarchy of people combining their efforts and collectively deciding this is how we're going to decide things, how we're going to do this journey. And I think that is crucial in its success. For me, bureaucracy is another topic altogether. It's, um, you could say, a formalization of documentation for no reason, which slows you down and creates so much process that you forget what you're actually doing. Yeah, it's just it just as you were talking there, it, it does feel like bureaucracy is sort of controlling human behavior. What you're trying to get to is sort of unleashing human potential, really, isn't it? Correct. I think that's well said. Um, let's talk about collaboration then. 
How is it working nowadays in organizations and uh, particularly with the proliferation of technologies? And I'm not just talking about this sort of working from home environment we're all sort of temporarily in at the moment. What are the fundamental changes we're missing? The fundamental changes that we're missing is that it's not necessarily um, stimulated. So people talk about collaboration all the time and they say, uh, please collaborate, please collaborate. But their bonuses are not geared towards collaboration. Mm. They are not inclined to work as a network because basically they have to reach specific individual goals that are set against collaboration. I often compare it to a school system where you would say to the teacher, listen, I'm going to do this test, but I'm going to ask my two colleagues here to work with me and find the answer to the question. Probably mm. get kicked out of the class. That <laughs> actually happened to me. So um, I, guess I was you know, preempting collaboration before it was allowed. But that is how we educate young people. And yeah. still today in companies, that is often what happens. So I'd say the first thing we need to do is to radically choose collaboration as a norm and say, everyone's invited to the table. Now, obviously, you need some, you need some, some simple rules to be able to um, create ways of working and making sure that there's no over collaboration, because that's the other danger. If we mm. don't regulate it, if we don't uh, think about how it's done cleverly, then people think I need to collaborate on everything. And that is the other problem, right? Because then people get burnt out. So it needs to be sharply driven by leaders who know what's best, work, work with their people and together collectively decide how do we wish to collaborate as a team? I always say the first thing you wanna do if you work on something is to say, who is in the team? Who's on this team and who works with whom? And I think then you can easily take the second step which is deciding how you're going to collaborate and as long as you're on that venture you work by those rules um let's let's briefly uh talk about this sort of forced experimentation phase of remote working we're all going through and um, have you seen or, or been told of any subtle things going on that you'd be worried about as a leader um you know people being overly monitored while working remotely and becoming counterproductive something like that um, where are the dangers to agility when it comes to remote working? Yes, I think there are plenty of examples out there and I think they're um, growing as we speak. There's a misunderstanding uh, about automation that it's a, you know, it's a quick and dirty tool to get everything under control, to control everything and everyone. There's now examples where people are actually, with COVID, for example, looking at your screen as you're working on your screen. Um, there's plenty of examples with, uh, you know, the digital, the pure digital companies that do everything by algorithm, in which an algorithm would have to have all the data of your work status so that it can make a sound decision. And so all those, all those data-driven decisions are then leading to more control. And, and that is not good because it will burn out people and it will make yeah. them demotivated. And ultimately, a lot of research shows that this overly big push towards automation and decision-making by data purely on itself leaves no space for the human experience at work. So I think the key is to pivot and to use automation and data-driven analysis and decision-making where you think it's making sense, but to leave it outside of the space of human activity as much as possible and to keep people free in being creative. And then you talked about sort of uh, data-driven decision-making. Um, a little bit on collective decision-making. 
again, something that sounds like the ideal way of doing things in theory, using the collective wisdom on the crowd, seems much more difficult to put into practice in you know, the marketing team down the hallway. So, so what are the types of things or even the way of thinking that leaders need to start doing in order to tap into that collective wisdom and have real collaborative decision-making in their organization? It's actually uh, much less difficult than it appears. Mm. I think the words may be more difficult than the actual fact of doing it um, <laughs> because they sound very, very academic, but it's actually a very practical thing. So yeah. the marketing team down the hall would be, if you're leading that marketing team down the hall, if they're actually literally down the hall, it's very easy because you could say every Monday morning, um, you go to the hall, you stand next to each other and you say, these are the challenges that we face this week. How should we tackle them? You take the best ideas and that's how you tackle them. And you're serious about it. Meaning if somebody very junior on the team speaks up, you take that idea seriously. You mm. put it into practice. You overrule um, hierarchies in terms of where ideas come from. Because very often in the digital economy and the new economy, the best ideas will come from people who live in that world. So you have to yeah. give them a chance to bring those ideas to the work floor and to you know, uh, be taken seriously. But I think in that sense, it's pretty easy. Um, we, for example, at Stragilon, have meetings where everyone is asked for ideas, is also asking for help. So mm. everyone's trying to find ways to help others and everyone's always listening to the ideas of others. And any prima donna that comes in there and says, I'm now the director of so-and-so may have a hard time in the beginning because they may say, what's this? What's going yeah. on here? But it's not chaos. It's actually really cool and it makes us very creative. And I think for me, that is the key. Low tech, simple stuff where you involve people as much as you can and you take them seriously, that will do the trick. Super. Um, again, briefly, let's, let's begin that journey towards the agile organization. We've set out a couple of the challenges today to agility. You talk, you're, well, you're going to talk about five steps, and we've talked a little bit about two of them, uh, specifically networks and collective wisdom. But I'd like to concentrate here on what you call, what you call connected leadership. Can you explain that concept first, please, and how it relates to becoming a more agile organization? For me, connected leadership is the idea of connection as the main driver of leadership. It takes away the pressure on a leader if they know they can be connected to the people around them. It takes away the idea that they have to be the leader because they're mm -hmm. leading, but they're leading from within the team. So what comes out of the team is crucial for anything that is decided and, and the leadership itself. And so that's where you need the connection. We call it structured empathy. So you structure yeah. your empathy as a leader to pick up signals from the team, to be close to the team, to understand how they're doing, understand their moods, their mood swings, their lack of energy, and try to understand what's going on. And by doing so, you can then fine tune your leadership style based on what are the signals that you're picking up from the community, what are the signals you're picking up from the team. So that's connected leadership. It takes away the pressure. There's so much literature on leadership. I actually have customers who go crazy, who say, I read this in this book, but I, it contradicted what I read in that book. Mm. So by bringing it back to connected leadership, I think it takes away all that pressure to perform as a leader because mm. you basically don't need to think about performance too much. You worry about, are you in touch? Do you see what's going on on the team? Do you pick up those signals? And can you drive the capacity and the potential of the team by making them thrive? 
and that will do most of the job for connected leadership. Super. Yeah, I've heard the phrase conductor of performance. It sounds very similar to, to how you're saying, sort of sitting in the middle and, and conducting everything. Um, and and I, I guess people have to discover the other steps by uh, watching your session. Um, finally, this all seems like a huge lift. We're basically trying to change habits drilled into us over generations. If you had one piece of sort of philosophical advice for leaders uh, looking to get their heads around this and start moving away from uh, bureaucracy towards towards more agile organization, what, what would you say to them? That it is constantly being reinvented and that is not a threat, that's an opportunity. So by taking it with a grain of salt and seeing it as a challenge, that is an invitation for you to uh, create some new ideas and step on this train and make it a journey. Um, I think uh, that could be a way to take away the pressure that people have to perform all the time, which I think is the biggest challenge that I see with a lot of our clients. Everyone's under so much pressure, creating so much pressure for themselves as well by seeing it more as a journey and saying that, yeah, well, whatever we do today, tomorrow will be different anyway, because technology is changing so fast and people are changing mm -hmm. and generations are changing that we haven't, you know, we, we, we don't have a need to know it all. We don't have a need to have the exact solution that will always be there. It's mm. agile. It'll be morphing into something else. And that's okay. We'll reinvent it. And so by taking it in that way, it's much more relaxing and it becomes more fun. <laughs> that's a nice way to end it. Uh, Philippe, thanks so much for joining us. Um, really look forward to the session. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you, Hugh. Perfect. And for those, again, for those IMI Transform members wanting to join Philippe's session next Tuesday, 6th of October and get that deep dive, please go to imi.ie forward slash events. And on a personal note, this will be the last IMI Talking Leadership podcast I'll be hosting. I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to all our guests and also hearing from you through the IMI inbox and in the halls of the campus. There was a lot more of you than you might have guessed. Um, so thanks again. And IMI will keep talking leadership across our platforms. And you can find our latest and best insights at imi.ie forward slash insights. Thanks so much for listening.